0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac, and today we are moving on to part 13 in our series on the book of James, A Faith That Works. Well, today we're tackling a topic that is really, really difficult for a lot of us. So when you're experiencing suffering, James tells us to be patient and not grumble against each other, and this is hard to do. So how do we process our emotions in a healthy way when we just want the suffering to end? So today, Pastor Dave is going to unpack James chapter 5 verses 7 through 11 and offers a few suggestions now this text is really powerful and when you read through it it just kind of speaks to your soul and helps you to see that there is a reason and a purpose that god is working about in our lives when we go through difficult times and so i pray that today this would be an encouragement to you that this message would be challenging to you and would help you especially if you're going through a difficult time right now. Uh, Remember that on our website, BeartownRoad.org, you can find all sorts of really cool tools and resources, especially our family devotional packet, which is a tool designed to help you as families to disciple your children, your teens better, to give you some resources to feel like you're equipped to do this. So without further ado, let's jump into this sermon from August 1st, entitled Emotionally Healthy Suffering.
1: That song, The Goodness of God, that we just sang, uh, it's a great song. It's been a, a powerful song in my life over the last year or so. And there's a line in it that it just gets me every time where it says, your goodness is running after me, right? And, and some of you are like, yeah, man, God's been good. His goodness um, has been overwhelming. But then there are others of you who might be thinking right now, I'm not sure where his goodness is. I don't feel it. I can't see it. I don't know where he is. You might be living in a time of suffering right now. And as I've talked with many of you over the course of the last year, um, I just wrote down a few of the things that some of the people in our church are struggling with. Okay? So one of them is you're growing older, right? Um, you know, you get up in the morning, you're a little bit more stiff. You don't move as quickly as you used to. And you're like, wow, th- this is a difficult thing that I'm now having to deal with. Um, others of you are dealing with unfulfilled dreams. Um, you thought you'd be married by now. Or maybe you are married, but you haven't had children. And the, the unfulfilled dream is, is something that you've really been struggling with recently. Maybe it's an illness, a, a health issue, or some kind of surgery uh, that was unexpected. Maybe it's a, an empty nest which for those of us who have little ones at home, we kind of think empty nests would be amazing. (laughs) But those of you who are experiencing empty nests, like you got a kid that you're about to send off to college, and it's hard, right? It's a a season that's new to you, and it's hard, and you're trying to deal with that whole thing. Um, Maybe you've had some loved ones move. My sixth grader uh, very recently had two of his very close friends move, and that can be something difficult to deal with. Uh, Professional things at work. Maybe you thought you'd be further ahead professionally or career-wise. Maybe you've got financial pressure. Maybe you've got relational struggles going on at work. Um, We've got some people in our church raising kids who have special needs, right, and the various challenges associated with that. Maybe you've got some theological stuff that you're trying to figure out who God is and what you believe and that's been a difficult thing for you. Um, Maybe you're wrestling with same-sex attraction and you're trying to figure out how to navigate that and who to talk to and how to deal with that. Um, it, it uh, it, It is something that we all experience in terms of these seasons of suffering. The writer of Ecclesiastes describes it like this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Unfortunately, suffering is here to stay. It's not going away, at least in this life, anytime soon. So when we are in the midst of suffering, it is so easy and so tempting to medicate our suffering through things like, you know, binge watching Netflix over and over so I don't have to think about that pain or uh, drugs or, or overuse of alcohol or just busyness so I don't have to think about that struggle. Maybe you're putting expectations on somebody that they can't fulfill and you just sort of hope that person figures out how to relieve you of your pain. That's always fun, right, when you're on the other side of that. But these experiences that we have, uh, they come and go. In some cases, they last for years, for several seasons. And so this is really the question that I want to deal with today. How do I process my pain in a healthy way when I just want it to go away? When I just want to be done with this season of struggle? And that's what we're going to talk about today because James... In chapter seven, verses, or chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, has some really, really good advice in just a few verses of how we can deal with this pain. So we're just going to break down these verses in hopes that we can figure out what to do as we process this pain that we're in. So here's what he writes. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Um, Eugene Peterson defines the word patient as a willingness to stick with things to not hit the eject button too early, to not exit earlier than you should. Now, I I think there are times where you need to quit the job or you need to quit the relationship, but don't do it too early because God might be working something in you. He might be bringing you to maturation and completing you. So be patient, James says. And now what he's gonna do is give us a few examples of people who have been extraordinarily patient. His first example is that of a farmer. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Do we have any farmers here? Any farmers in the room? Any farmers online? Okay, there's a couple of you watching online that might be farmers. This verse uh, meant a lot to me. Uh, or or I made sense of it more when I visited Israel a couple of years ago. I was in there in January for 10 days. There was not a cloud in the sky. It did not rain. And I thought to myself, is it 70 degrees and sunny all year long in Israel? Well, I I went on to do a little research and I discovered that in Israel, they have fall rains and they have autumn, autumn rains and they have spring rains. And they're, they're, they get about 60 days of rainfall a year and 20 inches. And it's pretty much clustered in these two seasons. So if you're a farmer, you're working the land, you're taking care of the land, you're putting seed and you're hoping and you're trusting that the rain is going to come. And it requires great patience because your livelihood depends on the rain falling so that you can harvest the crops and sell it and be able to survive. Now, just as a fun little tidbit for you, here in New York, we get about twice as much rain as they do in Israel. And I feel like we've gotten about 100 inches of rain just in the last couple of months, right? So he says, be patient. Be patient because the Lord is coming, right? He's coming um, where Revelation 21, John describes it like this He says, He will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no mourning, no pain. The old order of things have passed away. Behold, the Lamb of God sits on the throne and says, I am making all things new. And we look forward that day when it's going to be perfect. Your bodies will be free from pain. There'll be no mourning, no crying. But until that day comes where Jesus makes everything right, be patient, just like the farmer has to trust that God's going to send the rain. He goes on, verse 8, he says, you also be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. When you're tempted to hit the eject button, when you're tempted to just kind of be all over the place and not be emotionally healthy, he says stand firm. Now, if you read this in the original Greek, this is what it looks like, right? And it, it, it literally is strengthen your hearts or establish your hearts. In the midst of a trial, in the midst of suffering, make sure he says this in another part of his letter. Make sure you're not tossed back and forth by the wind and the waves, but stand firm. Stand firm. Establish your hearts. And then he goes on. He says, and don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. In the midst of our pain, it's very, very easy to want to grumble against the people, especially those whom we perceive to be the cause of our pain. And it's easy to just kind of complain, grumble, write something on social media because we're just so hurt and we're angry. And I'm just tempted to just grumble to anybody that wants to listen. And James says, don't grumble. Don't grumble. He's, he's the perfect judge. Oh, and by the way, he says, the judge is standing at the door. He's standing on the other side of the door and he's coming back. And in the meantime, be patient. Be patient, which is so challenging, isn't it? Because I am not a very patient person. I mean, when I get online and that little circle starts going for more than like three seconds, I start to start to lose my patience. But James says, you gotta be patient. You gotta be patient. The judge, the perfect judge is coming back. But in the meantime, you got to be like that farmer who sows and works the field and trusts that God's going to send the rain in his good timing. It's not very much fun waiting in the waiting room. Right? Like Recently, I took my kids to the dentist, and I walk into the dentist, and there's nobody sitting in the waiting room. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is great. I mean, we're going to get in and out, no problem. So we check in step away from the table, and my one son just throws up all over the floor. And it's just, it's just pandemonium. And I'm like, oh my goodness, are people gonna come through the door? And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I guess he's not gonna get his teeth clean today. And, and the angels... The people who worked at this dentist off, they were angels because they come, they're clean and all. Oh, don't worry about it. No big deal. And I'm like, what do I do? You know, do I take the kid and, and bring him over to the van? But then I got my other two kids. I'm like, you guys need to wait here. And I take the kid to a gas station where I can get him some pop and leave him in the van and make sure my, my kids are okay. It, it's not fun being in the waiting room, especially when messes erupt and you're not really sure what to do. But here's what James is saying. The judge He's standing on the other side of the door. He's going to make everything right. He's going to perfectly clean your teeth, and he's going to take care of all those bumps and bruises you have. He's going to make everything perfect. On the other side of the waiting room, it's like, ah! But you got to be patient because he's coming back. He's coming back. James goes on, verse 10. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, he knew that most of his audience was made up of people who were familiar with the prophets of the Old Testament, that big chunk of your Bible, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Habakkuk, and Micaiah, all these people who would speak to the nation of Israel on behalf of God. And he says, you remember all those prophets, how patient they were in the midst of suffering? Now, my favorite prophet is Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah um, comes onto the scene in 586 BC in the land of Judah, which is the southern part of Israel, right? And um, the nation of Israel is a disaster at this point. Here's what's going on. You've got stealing happen; People are stealing from each other. There's murder. There's adultery, perjury, people lying under oath. You've got social injustice, the rich taking advantage of the poor, um, idol worship, people worshiping all these different gods, And then it gets worse because God says, okay, you're doing all this. And then what you're doing is you're coming and standing before me in this house, the temple of the Lord, which bears my name. And you say, we're safe. We're safe to do all these detestable things. I mean, to to use modern vernacular or church vernacular, it's like, you know, Monday through Saturday, you're kind of living for yourself and you're hurting other people and you're abusing other people and you're not treating your workers good at work. And then you come here on Sunday morning and you're like, praise you, Lord. Thank you for forgiving of my sins, you know? And God's like, all right, that's no good. Jeremiah, come on over here. I need you to talk to the people. So Jeremiah comes before the nation of Judah and he says, you need to repent, but they don't listen to him. They throw him in prison. But he continues to shout out, repent, repent. And they're like, can you get rid of this guy? So they throw him in the bottom of a well. And he's got mud all over him. And he's like, repent, repent, repent. They're like, this guy, can you just get him out here? We're tired of hearing his message. And Jeremiah, in a moment of vulnerability, in a moment of suffering, says this to God. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Jeremiah might be thinking to himself, God, I thought at least a few people would appreciate my message. I thought maybe a couple people would come up to me and say, hey, hey, thanks for reminding me of the importance to repent. You know, thank you, thank you, Jeremiah. But he says, no, everybody's just mocking me and ridiculing me all day long, year after year after year. And he is mad. And he says this, "O oh Lord Almighty, let me see your vengeance upon these people who aren't changing. For to you, I have committed my cause. I've given my life to you, God. And all they do is mock me and ridicule me. And then this is, I find this to be a, li- a little bit humorous. Because right after this, here's what Jeremiah says. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. And so he kind of has this mountaintop experience for a few minutes, and then he goes right back down to the valley by saying, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. You ever have emotional swings where you're like up one minute, feeling good, feeling close to the Lord, and then like five seconds later, you're down in the depths. This is Jeremiah's story for years. Because nobody repents. And God wants to get their attention. He says, all right, Babylon, come over. I I want you to be my instrument of discipline. And he brings the Babylonians in, and they set the city on fire. They tear down the walls. They take thousands of, of Israelites, and they bring them captive to Babylon. They take all of the sacred articles out of the temple, and they put them in the Babylonian god, Marduk. And Jeremiah is like, you were serious about this. And he's looking around the city he's seeing people die of starvation. He's seeing people's homes burn down. And he pulls out his pen and he writes what would later be called Lamentations, Jeremiah's laments. And here's just a little piece of what he wrote. He said, my eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. And then he kind of goes back back up. And he says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. They never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And this next statement is so powerful. This verse right here kind of encapsulates everything that James wants to say about suffering. Here's what Jeremiah says. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. You know how long Jeremiah waits? 40 years. And nobody listens to him. And all they do is ridicule him and mock him. And eventually he gets taken away to Egypt where as far as he knows, he finishes off his life. Now, I'm I'm just going to be honest with you for a second. Okay, I've been at this church almost 10 years, and if for 10 years, every time I got up to preach, you guys just kept on backsliding and going downhill and hurting each other and fighting and doing a bunch of bad stuff. And let's just say, you know, you take me and you throw me into the boiler room off the kitchen, right? And all week long, I'm like, repent, repent, repent. And then you got, gather together for Sunday worship because you got a new guy. And I'm over there, repent. And you're like, oh my goodness, can you get rid of this guy? We can still hear him as we're trying to worship. And then you put me in the gym closet. And Monday morning comes and people are playing pickleball and you can hear me yelling out, repent, repent. And they're like, oh my goodness, can you put him out in this shed on the other side of the parking lot, right? And then eventually I work myself out of the shed and I pull the elders aside and I'm like, guys, I don't feel very valued here. I think I might need to find a new church. Jeremiah endures this for 40 years. And he's able to say, I will wait for God. But here's the thing. While he waits and while he demonstrates extraordinary patience, he has no problem with letting God know exactly how he feels. Here's what James says. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. If you're going through a trial right now and you're persevering, you're blessed. You're blessed. James goes on. He says, well, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally Brought about. So let's look at Job just for a moment. We discover at the very beginning of the book of Job that he was a man who was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. So he's a godly man and he's also a rich man. The text tells us he had 10 children, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large staff. This is the kind of life, let's be honest, that most of us wish we had, right? maybe not 10 kids, there's, there's someone with 10 kids I'm looking at right now. You, you, you guys are amazing, but most of us don't want 10 kids. But that's a good life, right? Lots of kids, they actually have meals with each other, right? They, they get along, the kids get along, which is amazing. They've got all, the, all these, uh, these sheep and all these animals where they can just make a lot of money. Lots of so Job had so much money, Forbes magazine actually made their way down there and did a story on Job So you got a godly man and you got a rich man. He's got it going on. He's got the good life, right? And then one day, he loses everything. Just think about this. All 10 of his children whom he loved, they had a good relationship. They lost their lives. He loses all of his animals, all of his wealth. And he's sitting there in sackcloth and ashes. And what does he do? He worships. He says, naked I came from my mother, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then it gets worse, because now he loses his health. He's covered in boils, nasty boils that got pus seeping out of him. And he takes a little thing of pottery and scrapes it because he's so itchy, Right? And he's just miserable. He's lost everything except for his wife, which in, in this moment, he probably wishes he would have lost his wife because his, his wife says to him, she says, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, you got nothing to live for, Job. And Job says this, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Okay, but you go on to read the rest of the book of Job, and there's 42 chapters, but like 35 chapters, he is, he's taking the filter off and letting God know exactly how he feels. Um, I, I got this app on my smart TV and on my phone called VidAngel. Okay, if you don't know what this is, you got to get it. It's great. You can watch like any movie, and you can filter out all the language, any scene you want. Just filters it out so that you can watch a nice, holy movie with your kids. And James, in this moment, he takes off vid Angel, and he's like, God, I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel because I am mad at you, right? Um, At the beginning, he's got these seven friends who come to him, and they're silent for seven days, just completely silent, which is good because sometimes when you're suffering, you don't need anybody to say anything. You just need them to be there. But then after seven days, they start pointing their finger. You must have done something bad. There must be some kind of sin in your life that's causing all these bad things to happen. So now he's lost good friends. His wife is not by his side, and he's lost his health and everything that he owns, and he's mad at God. Here's what he said. It's just little uh, tidbits of what he said. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign I'm going to vent God exactly how I feel to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I got a a family came into the 9:30 service today, and they um, they just got back from the beach, so they were at you know the ocean all week, and they gave me this shirt that said "Stay salty." which is great, like go to the beach, stay salty, get in the beach as often as you can. But you don't want to stay salty with you know, constant bitterness towards people. You want to eventually have emotional health. But we have moments where we're like up and down, and this is one of those moments, right, where he's like, I'm, I'm a little bit bitter. Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye even saw me. Verse 19, if only I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Then he says in verse 20, are not my few days almost over. Turn away from me so I can have a moment's joy. It's like this little fly that's somehow spinning around right in front of me. And I'm like, "Can you fly, can you just get away from me so I can concentrate, right? Job's like, God, just leave my side just for a moment so that I can have some joy. This is how, how much he's struggling, how, how salty and, and bitter he is. And yet, in the midst of all that, he says this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. When I read that, I thought of that example where Jesus is teaching to the crowds and he gives this teaching about drinking my blood, eating my flesh. It's this really confusing teaching, and a bunch of people will just leave. And then he turns around to the disciples and he says to them, You guys gonna leave too? And Peter speaks up and he says, we're not leaving. We're with you. Where else are we going to go? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. In other words, I I don't have anywhere else. I don't have any better place to go. So I'm putting all my chips in with you, God. My hope is in you. And Joe believed that God was going to use this season of suffering for his deliverance. So he has these really low moments, then he has a high moment, right? And then he goes back down. I mean, you read Job, he's all over the place. He says, I cry out to you, oh God, but you do not answer. You ever experienced that? It's like, I've been praying and I don't know where you are. I don't know why you're not answering. It feels like this thing I'm asking for, you should answer because it's a good thing, but you're not answering. And then he says this, the churning inside of me never stops, right? You ever been there? Where it's like, ah, uh, I got, I, my, my soul feels like it's in a meat grinder. Where I'm, I'm happy one minute and then I'm down the next minute. I'm on top of the mountain one minute and then I'm in the valley. God, I know you're good. I know my hope should be in you. I know that you bring me true joy. But then I have this mo- these moments where I'm like, but God, where are you? Why don't you answer this prayer? Why don't you take this pain from me? And you can read the rest of the story to find out what happens with Job. But I, just, just for me, I love the fact that two of the heroes in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Job, are all over the place, but they don't hit the eject button. They don't give up on God. They wait on him. Just like James said, to be patient like the prophets. Be patient like Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Be patient, like Job. And patience doesn't mean (laughs) that you have to like it. Patience doesn't mean that you have to enjoy all your difficult circumstances. Patience can mean, I'm not hitting the eject button. I am in this. And at times, I'm going to let God know exactly how I feel. But at the end of the day, my hope, it's in him. Because where else am I going to go? Here's what James says. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Do you believe that? You believe he's full of compassion and mercy? Do you believe he cares about your circumstances when you're in the valley, when you're on the mountaintop? James says, look, pain is here to stay. Suffering is here to stay. And we're all gonna have moments where it's going well. And we're all gonna have moments where we're in the valley and then we're back on top of the mountain and then we're in the valley again. That's just part of this life. James says, just be patient because there's gonna come a day where Jesus is gonna show up and he's gonna look at this world and say, I'm making all things new. I'm making this earth new and I'm making your body new and we're gonna have a great relationship. But in the meantime, I want you to be patient. So how do I process my pain in a healthy way when I just want it to go away? Cry out to God. Let him know how you feel. Take the filter off. The other thing that I would say, and James doesn't say this, but in my opinion, I think you need somebody in your life who you can vent to. Um, You've heard of a lightning rod, right, that's kind of in the middle of a field, and it receives the lightning, and then it just goes right into the ground. You need a lightning rod in your life. You need somebody you can talk to who's not gonna spread it on social media and spread it to a bunch of other people. Somebody that can handle your complaint, your vet, your lament, and they're just gonna put it straight down into the ground because we need each other. That's why we do church we need the church to help us process our pain. I got somebody in my life, I'll tell him all kind of stuff and then he'll look at me and he'll be like, what are you talking about? That's stupid. Stop, stop. And I need to hear that sometimes. I need perspective. I need to see the truth because when I'm up and when I'm down, I don't always see things as I should. So go to God and say, I don't like this. I know you're asking me to have patience. I don't have any patience, but I'm not leaving you because where else am I going to go? You died for me. You've given me eternal life. You've given me the church. And I know you're coming back someday. And I know it's gonna be glorious someday. But as I wait in this waiting room, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna put my faith in you. Because you love me and you care for me. I got a friend at the church who I'll tell you, she inspires me so much. Her name's Deb Tchaikovsky, and she has a a, a vision condition where it's very, very difficult for her to see. And... Oh man, she inspires me. I love the way she serves the church and serves other people. I mean, she works out, she's loving on other people and her vision is so limited. And so um, Lucas, our worship pastor, sat down with her recently uh, to videotape a little bit of her story. And I hope and I pray that this inspires you um, in the midst of your pain. And after we watch her video, uh, we're gonna sing a song. Um, it's a prayer that God would help us to give us faith in the midst of these trying times. Before we show this video, um, I, I saw her this morning and I said, hey, do you ever complain to God? Do you ever cry out to God? And she was like, yeah, just last weekend. I didn't like what I was going through and I was just crying out to God. And so she has difficult times, but I'm telling she is a rock and she stands firm and she establishes her heart in the midst of extraordinary suffering. So let's go ahead and watch her story together as the worship team makes their way up.
2: Great. So when I was 14, I started noticing changes in my vision. And by 15, I was diagnosed with Stargardt's disease, which is a degenerative uh, disease in your eyes. So over the last 20 years, I have lost my central vision. And... That has been uh, hard for me because you use your central vision for facial recognition, for uh, seeing the detail in the world. So I can see the tree, but not necessarily the bird that's in the tree or reading books or even school papers. So you know, getting that news when I was 15, um, I felt like God was kind of raining on my parade of independence and going out to conquer the world. But instead of being angry with God, it really pushed me underneath, out from underneath the umbrella of my parents' religion or how I was brought up or the Christian church I was going to or even the school that I ended up attending and really making it a personal relationship with God. And in that moment of praying and actually reading my Bible and searching and having a relationship with God, I always heard this voice saying, do you believe that I am who I say I am? And that's when you have to stop and take away all the noise of, you know, the headaches and the migraines and, you know, your eyes being so tired and just think, yes, God is taking care of me. And then he always follows that up with saying, then trust me. And there's been times in my life that I, without question, know that God has blessed me uh, from finding a husband that I know that he never makes me feel guilty that I can't drive go to Wegmans or take the girls to the doctor's appointments. I'm not going to be able to pick out the bluebirds in the tree that my daughter wants me to see, but I can always say, you know, I can hear them and I can just turn it in a different light that we still can feel like a family. And a verse that always comes to mind is Matthew 7:7: Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. But I feel like that next verse is so important because it calls you into action. It's not just asking God, you know, please help me and please watch over my family. But it's actually seeking and finding and knocking on doors to help you still live the life that God has called you to be. And an example of that most recently is as my uh, disease has progressed in the last uh, couple of years, having my last daughter, I started tripping and I started fell down the stairs and crossing the road started becoming unsafe so I put in an application to have a service dog and they kept telling me because of COVID this process was going to take two years and I remember standing at my sink and God saying audibly you will have a dog uh, within six months and Within five months, not only had I applied, but I had been matched, and I was already training with her, and she has helped alleviate the headaches from straining from my eyes, and there comes a point when you have to stop and just thank God for the blessings, and yes, this is going to last forever, but there is absolutely uh, nothing I would want better in my life because it has caused me to have this relationship with God, and I believe with all my heart that the best is yet to come.
0: All right. Well, I hope that that message was an encouragement to you. It was challenging to you and uplifting in a way that made you feel like you had some resources to deal with difficulty and with suffering as you move forward in your life, if not now, in the future. And so until we're together again, I just want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.